You're listening to the Northside Christian Church Podcast. Find out more about Northside by visiting us online at northsideweb.org. Good morning, and we are glad that you're here. One of the things we also want to do is say, whatever's happening in the world today, that the God of the Bible is still active and living and working through our church, and we hope that it all brings together for you. Let me illustrate it this way this last week. Have you ever been in the car, you're driving down the road, you're listening to the radio, you're listening to news, and you're kind of only half listening? And then something comes across the news and it catches your attention. Well, that happened to me last week, and it was from somebody I just never would have thought. Uh, a quote from a woman by the name of Meghan Markle. You ever heard of her? Well, anyway, Meghan Markle. She married Prince Harry, uh, so she is royalty. She lives over somewhere. Anyway, what, what, the, uh, what, what the quote was, was they were... They were going to leave their life over there and come to the United States of America for six weeks to visit her mother for Thanksgiving and go to come to America to celebrate Thanksgiving. But that's not what caught my attention. What caught my attention was that she said, I don't feel like I'm really living. I'm just existing. And that caught my attention. In fact, I looked up the article. She's a princess. She is the Royal Highness, the Duchess of Sussex. And it's like... And, and she's got all of this, and she doesn't feel like she's really living. She's just existing. I think that just blew me away. It's like, how in the world? She just doesn't understand what life is. It's just, oh, she's just existing. Huh. But then I thought, you know, so many of us as Christians are the same way. Do you realize we are royalty as well? Do you realize we are a child of the king? Do you realize the Bible tells us that? Look at 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9. But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you were, have not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. That ought to fill us with joy. We shouldn't just be existing. We ought to be really living because we're like royalty. We're like God's special treasure. We're like a a child of the king. It's like, man, we ought to just not be just existing. We ought to be really, really living. But so many people are just kind of like Meghan Markle. Well, I don't think I'm really living. I'm just existing. Oh, I don't think she just really understands. And maybe like a lot of us don't really understand. We've been in a series called I Love My Church, and we've been talking about different aspects. One of the things I want to talk about today is the aspect of worship, because if you really are living, and if you are giving your praise and honor and glory to God, then you're going to worship. That's just, people should never beg you to come to church. You don't want to come to church because you know that is where I feel the presence of God, and we lift His name up and praise Him. And, but if I would ask you, what, what do you think of when you hear the word worship. What would you think? I think most of us would think, well, that's the singing time that happens in church. And you'd partly be right, but, but, but that's the singing time. And when you look around, people that are worshiping, worship in all different kinds of styles. There are some that are, are very docile and kind of relaxed. And back in there are some that are very, very active. In fact, I kind of wonder sometimes if they're not wearing a Fitbit. And the more exercise, I mean, the more expression they have, the more steps they get in in their uh, daily routine. I don't know. But, but we all worship in different ways. But if, if that's all worship means to you, the few moments that we sing church on Sunday, then then you're missing a whole lot of what God really talks about worship in the Scriptures. 
Um, worship is so much more than that. It's been around for a long time. Started in the Old Testament, all the way through the Old Testament into the New Testament. It is currently today in the day we live, and it goes all the way into eternity. It's probably where the history of the church meets, meets the future of the heart of heaven that all comes together when we worship. But here, here's the issue. Most people tend to worship their work, to work at their play, and to play at their worship. In other words, we kind of got it backwards in American culture, and I think that's an apt description of America. We have more uh, intensity, we have more energy, we have more excitement in our work and, and in our games and in our sports than we do in worshiping our God. But basically, worship means to ascribe worth. Now, there's only one God, only one that is truly, truly worthy, and that's God. So I want to talk a little bit about that today. Here's point number one. We worship joyfully because He alone is worthy. There's no one else that we ought to praise and lift up like we lift up God. He ought to be number one in our life. I want to give several scriptures that just kind of show this. It starts even before Exodus, but in Exodus chapter, um, chapter 20, God is giving the ten, ten Commandments. And here's what He says, you shall have no other gods before me. In chapter 34, he says, do not worship any other God, for the Lord your God, whose name is Jealous, is a jealous God. So he doesn't want you to put anybody or anything else in place of him, and nobody else deserves first place but God. Deuteronomy chapter 10 says, he alone is your God, the only one who is worthy of your praise. So we worship him joyfully because he alone is worthy. Look at Psalm chapter 29. Honor the Lord your, uh, for the glory of his name. Worship the Lord in splendor of His holiness. Sometimes I wonder if we really have captured the, the true essence of the holiness of God. I think a lot of things would change in our life and in our worship if that were true. Psalm 95, come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord, our maker. He's alone worthy. And when you get to the New Testament, it describes something else. Uh, look at uh, Colossians chapter 3. Let the message of Christ dwell among you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom through psalms, hymns, songs from the Spirit, singing to God with gratitude in your hearts. Now, evidently these songs, and he mentioned several kinds, psalms, hymns, songs of the Spirit, you know, uh, are different kinds, but it's somehow related to let the message of Christ dwell in you richly. And then when it says songs from the Spirit, it's like, what's he really mean? Some of the versions say spiritual songs. And so what that might have meant is that the Lord inspired those songs to be written. It could mean that, that when we sing, we get caught in the Spirit of God because of those certain songs. Or it also could mean that God was using those for teaching, and that ties in with the first part of the, of the verse. Because uh, the New Testament Christians... They had the Old Testament, but they did not yet have the New Testament in its written form. And so uh, the stories and the messages and the teachings of Jesus Christ was passed down orally from one person to the next. And so sometimes they would set some of this teaching to music and they would memorize it that way. And so they used it as a teaching tool to remember scriptures. And I think as a child growing up, I sang Bible verses in certain songs, and that helped me to memorize parts of the Bible, which I thought, you know, that's really, really cool. And sometimes we look at it and say, man, I didn't even know that song that we sing comes from the Bible, but it comes right out of Scripture. Um, 
Uh, but sometimes I think we're, we don't really understand, like let the message of Christ dwell among you richly. I think we have the Word of God in our heart, but sometimes I don't think it's as deep as what it ought to be. And sometimes it's just on the surface and it's shallow. And if we don't really allow it to penetrate into our lives, then we're not really going to have that joyful worship because all the two really ought to be connected in that way. And I wonder sometimes if God looks down and says, you know, I, I just wish they would be more excited about worshiping me than their work or their sports or whatever else. But I think a lot of us, we don't allow it to really penetrate deeply in our life. And because of that, we have no power and we have no joyful worship because of that. Look at what he says in 1 Corinthians 4. For the kingdom of God is not just a lot of talk. It is living by God's power. So how many times has God really wanted to say, hey, I wish you would worship me that way. And you, you, If you confine worship to this church or to a certain location, then you've missed what God's talking about. Because you can worship him at work. You can worship him at the break room. You can worship him at school. You can worship because that's a, it's part of your lifestyle before God himself. Um, I think we get confused when we come into church sometimes. Uh, and, and I think it's, it's the longer we become a Christian, it gets like this. You know, there's lots of different styles. And sometimes the longer we've been a Christian, we move from a worshiper to a consumer. In other words, when we come to church, we think, you know, boy, I really didn't like that speaker. He didn't do a very good job. Well, I didn't like the fact that he doesn't wear a suit anymore. You notice that? You notice that? Yeah, too many people's noticed that. I know they noticed that. It's like, well, he doesn't wear a suit anymore. Or oh, I don't like the music that they sing. You know, it's just too loud. Or it's this, that. Or, you know, and so, so what happens? We have become consumers when we come in and start thinking about that way. Listen, folks, we do not come for ourselves. We come to ascribe worth and glory and honor to God. Uh, uh, one time I saw, look this, random churchgoer, I really didn't like worship today. You ever heard that? People come out, my man, he missed the mark here. I didn't like those songs. It's like, oh. <clears throat> I love Francis Chan's response to that question. He says this, that's okay. We weren't worshiping you. <laughs> and I think, goodness, if the people would just truly understand that. The primary reason for a child of God to gather together with other believers is to worship God. How could we not? How could we not come and worship after what he's done for us? How could we not stand and sing songs? How could we not uh, bow our heads in reverence when, when God has done what he's done for us by saving us by the death of his own son on the cross and shedding his blood? How could we not worship him and ascribe him? Uh, it's all about him. And I know sometimes we're different. Some people are much more expressive. Some people are more docile. That's okay as long as it comes from a natural, sincere, genuine heart that we worship him. It leads me to the second reason. When we worship, we worship joyfully because it is a witness. In other words, when you come to church, you are witnessing to your faith. And you're, you're actually telling a story of how God's faithfulness has been proven out in your life. And so you are a witness just by you being here this morning to people around you. You see, um, uh, we're, uh, as human beings, sometimes we're, we're uninhibited to do things and sometimes we're inhibited to do other things and, and that's difficult for us. But as long as it's a natural expression before God, I think that's what God is really interested Singing is not the sole primary means by which we sing, or by which we praise God. It is one effective means, but it's not the only thing. Um, and, and so when we come, it is a witness to, this is God in my life. 
And I praise him because I can trust him. I know that he takes care of me. Uh, and so, so because I know that, I can go worship. And whatever situation I find myself in, I know that I don't have to worry. I don't have to sweat. I can step out in faith. And I know that somehow God's going to take care of me. Therefore, I worship. Let me give you a good story. This, these kind of things happen to me all the time. All right? This just happened like a week and a half ago. I had scheduled to go to a Spire conference, uh, first time that they've ever had the Spire conference. The North American Christian Convention uh, ceased to exist, and they were creating this instead. So I felt like with the Christian churches, I ought to go the first time. So I'm going to, to uh, this Spire conference, and it was, happened to be in Orlando. Dirty job, but somebody's got to do it, right? And so uh, Paul and I really haven't had much time together, you know, because it's just hard to get away. And so the conference started Tuesday morning. I would have to travel all day Monday. And I thought, well, you know, why don't I just, uh, I'll leave on Sunday afternoon. We'll go down there. We'll have a nice day on Monday. And we'll just spend some time together as husband and wife. And that'd be a really good thing. Well, it ended up Paula couldn't go. And so I was like, man, why did I go on Sunday? It's like a bummer. So I get on an airplane. They fly us from Cleveland to Washington, Dulles Airport. It's like, you know, they put me in the middle seat. I hate the middle seat, okay? I just absolutely hate it. But because Paula wasn't there, her seat was empty. I moved over to the window and gave the seat in the middle. It's like, okay, life is good. But when we got ready to fly from Washington to Orlando, they bumped me up. Now, they didn't bump me all the way to first class, but almost. So they bumped me all the way up the front of the class, uh, front of the, the plane, and they put me in the middle seat. I hate the middle seat. And I especially hate the middle seat when I'm between two men that are as big as I am, okay? Because you don't have all the room in the world for these airplane seats for our bodies, okay? All right, so I'm here in this seat, and I was thinking, okay, I'm just going to read a book that I had to read. And so I started to read it, and all of a sudden then I start a conversation with this man next to me. And you know what men talk about when they first start talking? You know what one of the first questions they ever ask? What do you do for a living? Well, I'm a pastor of a church. And I wasn't dressed as a pastor, and he probably was like, you're a pastor of a church? Um, By the way, the two men they set me beside, in, in the middle of, they were like two wealthy dudes, okay, like really rich. And uh, they both own computer software companies, and they traveled all over the world. And so I said, well, what do you do? He owned his own company, software company. Uh, he was traveling back from Istanbul. He travels all over the world selling his product. He's the owner, president, CEO of his company. He lives in Orlando, but he, he has businesses based out of Pennsylvania. It's like, oh, man, this is really cool. And, and so I was talking to him. So, so then I turned to the next guy. I said, okay, what are you in? And he already knew that I'm a preacher, right? So I, I asked him, what, what do you do for a living? He says, uh, I work for intelligence. And I said, like, government intelligence? And he said, well, technically, we don't work for the government. And I said, that's good, because I kind of thought government intelligence was like an oxymoron. And and, uh, so anyway, and it's like, what do you do working for the government? The government, uh, they bought his company. And as he was scrolling through his phone, he had a picture of a yacht on there that he owned. It's like, you know, I'm talking rich. And then the government hired him. And I said, well, what do you do for the government in intelligence? Because he was telling me all stuff about Pakistan and Afghanistan and all kinds of stuff. And some of the stuff here in America, it's like he was really kind of hesitant to kind of talk. We're not really allowed to talk about some of the things. We're not allowed to, what we find out, we're not allowed to divulge unless somebody specifically requests that, like a subpoena. And, and so it's kind of interesting of that, but I'm way over my head. Because, you know, here's two like rich dudes that are really smart and computers, and I know nothing about computers, and I'm just an Indiana hillbilly, right, in the middle. And so they're talking. I said, well, what is cyber? 
It's like, I don't really even understand that. He says, well, in the cyber world, in the intellectual world here, it's like there's two groups. There are the bank robbers, and there are the people that write the programs to uh, keep the people from robbing the banks. I was like, oh, okay. Where do you fit in? And and he said, well, I'm kind of like in the middle. So evidently, the government has hired some people to help them because they're the, the bank robbers are the best. And so it's like, well, I'm not surprised that maybe the government's hired some people that are kind of crooks. I'm not, I'm not really surprised that. But here's what happened. It, it got like way over my head. It's like, you know, I just really don't know nothing about this. And so, so it kind of turned. I turned back to the other mind and we started talking about church. Let me tell you, I know about church. And so we talk about church and about where you're from and where am I from? I'm Northeast Ohio. Oh, we're at Northeast Ohio. So I'm from Wadsworth. Oh, we spent, when I was in high school, we spent a few years in Medina High School. I said, well, we just started a church in Medina High School. So we started talking about that. They were active in their church in Celebration, uh, Florida is where they lived. And, uh, and throughout the course of that conversation, he found out that I was coming down a day early, but my wife wasn't with me and I didn't have anything to do on Monday. And I was kind of bummed out about that. And he said, I'll tell you what, why don't you come over to my house? And uh, we'll entertain you for the afternoon, and we'll take you around and show you all around. So I went over to his house on Monday afternoon. He showed me all over his house. He showed me there. I had a nice conversation with him and his wife. Uh, took me around. He w- lived in Celebration, uh, Florida. It's based off Walt Disney's home in uh, Kansas. He took me all around Disney Springs, in and out. He took me to his favorite restaurant, a seafood overlooking the bay, and paid for my supper. And I think, Wow. I actually tried to pay for his, but it didn't happen. But I just tell you that because that kind of stuff happens to me all the time. I'm thinking here, I'm trapped in the middle, but I got a captive audience, right? Um, but, but when you step out in faith, by the way, I called my wife after it was all over, says, I just want you to know I'm still alive. It wasn't a mass murder or anything. And, you know, uh, and by the way, I do not recommend that for, for you folks, especially if you're a girl or you're a woman. Don't go to some stranger's house you meet on an airplane. It just doesn't, probably not the right thing to do. But for me in that situation, oh, okay, it's all right. But it doesn't matter. God always takes care of me. And I know that. So I can step out in faith and I don't have to be afraid. And I know that I will worship him because I trust him. I know that he's going to take care of me no matter what I do, no matter where I go, anything like that, it's going to happen. King Song, uh, King David said this in the Psalms, Come, let us sing for joy to the Lord. Let us shout aloud to the rock of our salvation. Now, we worship that rock. He is the chief cornerstone, the Bible says. And if the world is crumbling apart, we worship a rock that will not fall apart. And so we worship Him. Psalm 100 says this, Shout for joy to the Lord all the earth. Worship the Lord with gladness. Come before Him with joyful songs. And uh, you say, well, I, I don't sing very good. You know, the King James Version, you'll like this. You're in luck. It says, make a joyful noise. You don't have to sing good. It's not about your singing. It's about what's in your heart, and you expressing that to God is what it really is all about. But when you come to church, it is a witness to everybody around you that you believe in God and that it is your priority that you're in worship. It's a priority for our family, and our kids grew up knowing that. And no matter what happened, we would be at church on Sunday, and our kids know that, and we have three children. They're all three involved in church to this day. Um, we, uh, it, your relatives drop by, and they're spending the weekend. It's like, well, I'm going to get up and go to church. Well, why don't you come with us? I said, well, I don't want to come. Well, I'll tell you, you make yourself at home, and when it's over, we'll meet you somewhere and go to a restaurant. And by you going, even if you leave your family back at home, they know that church is a priority to you. 
It is a witness for other people. And say, well, I don't feel like witnessing. Or I don't feel like worshiping. Because you've been through the roughest week of your life. And you feel like God has let you down. And you're depressed. And you're struggling in your family. And you've just lost your job. Worship becomes a witness even in the tough times. Because people are asking questions like, how in the world can they go to church? How in the world can they worship when they're going through stuff like that? I just don't understand. It is because they trust God. And they know God's going to make it right. Look at Romans chapter 8. But if we hope for what we do not yet have, we wait for it patiently. In the same way, the Spirit helps us in our weaknesses. We don't know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with wordless groans. And he who searches our hearts knows the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for God's people in accordance with the will of God. Um, so when life hasn't turned out like you think, you wait patiently, and you know that God is going to make it right sooner or later someday. And he may not make it right even here on this earth, but he'll make it right someday in heaven. And because of that, we worship him because we know that he is going to make it right. The book of Hebrews chapter 13 puts it this way, for here we do not have an enduring city. That's just life the way it is, but we are looking for the city that is to come. Through Jesus, therefore, we let us continually offer to God a sacrifice of praise the fruit of lips that openly profess his name. In other words, this city isn't it here, but because of Jesus, we can continually offer that, I like that phrase, sacrifice of praise, worship. That leads me to my third point, and it's this. To worship joyfully involves a sacrifice. And sometimes I don't think we've really truly grasped that. Um, and, I, and I'm not so sure we truly worship joyfully, until that sacrifice is connected there. Why do I say that? Do you know when the first time the word worship is used in the Bible? It's all the way back in the book of Genesis. And it has to be a story about Abraham uh, sacrificing his son Isaac. Look at, let's pick it up in Genesis 22, verse 1. Sometime later, God tested Abraham. Wow, what a test. Abraham, yes, he replied, here I am. Take your son, your only son, yes, Isaac whom you love so much, and go to the land of Moriah. Go and sacrifice him as a burnt offering on one of the mountains which I will show you. Talk about a test. Would he trust God that somehow God's going to make this okay? Do you realize he's waited a hundred years for that child? Even though God promises all your descendants are going to be like the stars in the sky and the sand of the seashore, you're going to have this child. And finally, when his wife is 90 years old, she has this child. And now God says, okay, I want you to sacrifice this child. It's like, wait a minute here. And yet he was willing to do that. Why would he do that? Well, the New Testament gives us a clue. Jump over to the book of Hebrews chapter 11 for a second. Abraham reasoned that if Isaac died, God was able to bring him back to life again. And in a sense, Abraham did receive his son back from the dead. Now I want you to I want you to be mindful of the fact Abraham has never seen a resurrection. But he trusted God. He knew that God knew best. He knew that God had a plan. And so it's probably a huge foreshadowing of what God's going to happen in the New Testament when, he, when Jesus Christ is going to be sacrificed. Now, if you know the story, it's a very powerful and compelling story. Just as he was ready to slay his son Abraham, God stopped him. But God would not stop that Roman soldier and would allow his son to die, that sacrifice for us. Well, what's that have to do with worship? 
everything. Because that's the first time that word worship is used. Look at Genesis 22, verse 5. Stay here with the donkey, Abraham told the servants. The boy and I will travel a little farther, and we will worship there. And then we will come right back. You see, he trusted God. And he knew that he was willing to give God his best because God would give him his best. And so he was not afraid to step out in faith and give God his best. That's what worship is. And so I hope that we come into worship, it's like, I won't hold anything back from giving God my best. Give him the best of my treasure, give him the best of my time, give him the best of my attention, give him the best of, of my worship, because that's what he deserves. The best of my dreams, my deepest pain, all of those placed before God. And maybe the greatest lesson in worship at all is what King David said. 2 Samuel chapter 24, I will not sacrifice to the Lord God burnt offerings that cost me nothing. When you come to worship, it's going to cost you something. It will cost you time, energy, maybe some of your resources. For some of you, some of us, maybe it's cost us a friendship or two because they just couldn't buy into our faith. But we are commanded to come together and worship. He says that in Hebrews chapter 10. And now let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds. Not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. What day is that? It's the day of Christ's return that he's going to come back. And so we come to get our batteries recharged to worship. And, and, and it says where two or three are gathered together, there he is in our midst. And so the first time it's used in the Bible, it is not used to describe a church service. It is used to describe a sacrifice. True worship begins where we end. Sometimes we respond to God's grace with a bowed head and a reverent heart. And sometimes we worship him with outstretched arms and a joyous countenance. Both are appropriate, but both are important. You know, sometimes when you come to, come to church, you know, uh, sometimes you think, man, it's just kind of it's kind of boring, it's kind of blasé. Well, let me illustrate it this way. Music is so powerful. Suppose you're watching a movie, and when you're watching this movie, you know you're kind of maybe getting lost, maybe you're daydreaming, maybe your mind kind of goes out, and then what happens is the music begins to swell, and you know something's going to happen. And so as you're watching this, and then you start hearing the music, and the music just starts to swell, and it starts to draw you in. And you know something's going to happen, don't you? How many recognize that song? All right, do you know that was 45 years ago, the Walt movie Jaws came out? But every time, every time that, you know, the, as the story plot went in, then all of a sudden that music came on. And you knew that that shark was coming in. And that would, maybe your heart would start to patter a little bit. Maybe your palms would start to get sweaty just a little bit because you knew something was going to happen. Music is so very powerful. And that's one of the reasons why we use it. And it doesn't evoke fear. It evokes, it, it evokes joy and worship because of what it does for us and what it tells us in the songs that we sing. For instance, like this.
Don't you just love that song? That he called us out of the grave. That's why we ought to worship him. And so we're going to sing that last song for just a chance for us to worship together one last time this morning. And your greatest act of worship is to give your heart and life to Jesus Christ. And if you have never done that this morning, we encourage you to do that during this song, to give your heart to him because that's what he really wants. And if you do that this morning, if you come down, that's fine. And if you just want to talk to me or one of the staff afterwards, that's fine too. But give him your heart because that is the best form of worship you could ever do. He alone is worthy of our praise. Let's sing that song.